This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas like visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their new resident sentiment study. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and more at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show, and today we change things up just a bit, and we welcome two guests to DMOU, Craig Davis and Jason Fulvey. Craig is the CEO of Visit Pittsburgh, where he oversees a $13.5 million budget and a professional staff of 54. Craig has worked in the hospitality industry for over three decades. He began his tenure at Visit Pittsburgh in 2000 as the Executive Director of Convention Sales. He was promoted to Vice President of Sales and Marketing in 2007 and to the position of President CEO in March of 2012. Prior to jumping into the destination marketing space, Craig was Director of Marketing for the Weston William Penn Hotel, Director of Marketing for the Vista Hotel, and Director of Sales and Marketing at the Drake in Chicago. He graduated from the University of Western Ontario and in 2002 became a CDME and now serves as a course instructor for their leadership program. He also currently serves as the Chairman of the Board of Destinations International and completed his term as Chairman for the Destination and Travel Foundation in 2014. More importantly, he's a member of the Destination International's house band and he just shredded rock and roll all night and a party every day at the old convention. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Please also welcome Jason Fulvey, who has just completed his first year as president and CEO of Visit KC. With more than 32 years of experience in the hospitality and tourism industries, Jason comes to Kansas City from Visit Pittsburgh, where he served for 16 years, most recently as the organization's executive vice president, working side-by-side with Craig Davis. Growing up in a small town in western Pennsylvania, Jason graduated from Indiana University of Pennsylvania with a degree in hotel, restaurant, and institutional management, began his hospitality career as a hotel dishwasher, working his way up through the industry and serving companies such as Hilton Worldwide and Holiday Inn before joining Visit Pittsburgh in May of 2002. In 2007, Jason also became a CDME and he completed his term as chair of the Destination International Foundation. Gentlemen, welcome to DMOU. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, great bios, uh, great histories on all of you. You know, it was funny. I grew up in a uh, small town in Illinois that, by our count, has produced four DMO CEOs. I, I mean, this is a small town, like 35,000 people. Really? And four, yeah. And I think per capita, this has to be the record. But Pittsburgh has got to be one of the top breeding grounds for DMO leaders. Quarterbacks and DMO leaders. <laughs> So you've got Joe McGrath, former chair of IACVB, which, of course, is now Destinations International. He hires Craig Davis, who goes on to become CEO and chair of Destinations International, who hires Jason Fulvey, who goes on to chair the foundation and become the CEO in Kansas City. I'm not sure that there's that kind of a pedigree anywhere. So it must be the Iron City beer, right? (laughs) It must be. Before we get to our three questions in the bonus round, I've got kind of a just a do you guys miss each other? <laughs> yeah, I miss Jason. We talk a lot, actually, on the phone. So you're never too far away from each other? No, 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 no. We, listen, right. Craig and I have known each other for, good golly, 28 years plus. So we, uh, we're we very good friends. And, yeah. uh, and I think that's what was the power that we had when we worked together in Pittsburgh, um, because we worked so well together. 
and really had a lot of mutually mutual respect for each other. And I think that was the, the magic potion that we had. And actually, Jason and I worked together during our Hilton International days and actually knew each other over the phone for years before we actually ever met. So our time goes way before the DMO world. Cool. Well, here's the first question of your three in the bonus round. When you each reached number two status at Visit Pittsburgh, it was clear that CEO could be in the cards. What did you see during your time as number two that you either knew you wanted to change when you had the opportunity, either there at Visit Pittsburgh or wherever life took you, or that you knew you wanted to double down on? What did you see during that time in the number two chair that you thought, yep, or nope. So for me, it was the fact that my predecessor, Joe McGrath, incredible at so many things. And he built an organization that was rock solid financially. We had come from borrowing money to having quite a nice reserve by the time Joe retired and um, brought me on as his successor. And for me, our opportunity became more in our community. And that I think we're probably going to get into quite a few times today. But from my standpoint, you know, for things that when I was a number two, it was that bond with the community that I knew we had to work on. And that was something that I worked very hard afterwards. And uh, that is where I think the biggest opportunity was at that point in time. Yeah, and Bill, for me, I was very blessed to uh, have tutelage not only under Joe, but Bob Imperata and also Craig. So I learned from, in my opinion, three of the best. And when I moved into that number two spot, I was quite comfortable with that role. I think the turning point for me is as I continued to get more engaged in DI and learned more about the broader scope because, you know, I came up as a sales guy just like Craig did. And as I learned more about the breadth of what our organizations do for the community, I think that was really my turning point to say, you know what, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a catalyst for change, not only in a destination, but for our industry as well. And it was clear that when Jason, especially the last couple of years of us being together, and we had been together for what, 17 years, Jason, mm-hmm. something like that. It was clear that he was ready for the CEO position, and I was really pushing him for other opportunities and to round out his resume. The, the fact is, is that Jason always had it in him, and it became apparent that was his, going to be his natural track. And uh, it, was, it was easy to support him in that journey. You know, it's funny. I've been in this industry, as as you have, long enough that I remember when the uh, job opportunities came out every week in a folder uh, that was mailed from IACVB to the CEO. (laughs) And I don't know, it was my third or fourth year in Madison, and uh, I had a a VP of sales who was ready. Uh, I knew he was ready. And I just very quietly would just slip the postings that I thought were appropriate for him into his box. And that went on for about a month. And finally, John came around one day and says, are you trying to tell me something? (laughs) And I said, yeah, it's time for you to go. I said, you're ready. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. And I said, and even if I did go somewhere in the next couple of years, I said, frankly, you know, unlike you, Craig, I said, I don't think that the board sees you as president. They're comfortable with you as VP. And I've, I've heard that from a lot of people who have gone from number two to ultimately number one is it was hard to do it at their own bureau 
because the board didn't see them in that light. And I said, I don't think my board sees you in that light. I said, you, if you want to be the CEO in Madison, I said, you need to go to Rochester, Minnesota first and then come back if you want to. And he did go to Rochester. And then he went on to a couple other bureaus. And Craig, for you, I mean, you did succeed at the same organization. Was it that Joe had positioned you as presidential? Absolutely. Joe was incredibly supportive, as was Bob Imperata, who was the number two. And I was lucky enough, as uh, Jason said, I started as the sales guy, and then I moved up to EVP, and then eventually to CEO. So this is my third job at Visit Pittsburgh in the last 19 years. And I was fortunate enough to work at the same time with two incredible guys who had naturally just retired in their positions and really did bolster me for that next one. But I, you know, generally speaking, I got very lucky. I have to tell you that. Because what you just described, Bill, I think is that the way it probably should go. I think you need to, to cut your teeth in almost different places in order to round you out. So my path was probably unorthodox compared to most. Second question. As you each waited for your opportunity to move up to the big chair, what did you do to prepare yourself for that jump? Craig, you said clearly Bob and Joe were helping and, and you saw things that you wanted to maybe change or double down on. Jason, let's start with you on this one. Sure. How were you preparing for the moment that you could jump to visit KC? So a couple of factors uh, came into play there. One, Craig allowed me access to everything, right? So I got to sit at the big kids table as the number two and engage with the community, engage with the board. So very lucky in that aspect. The other piece to that was, as you both know, and probably most of the listeners know, shyness really isn't in my genetic makeup. (laughs) So I kind of pushed myself into those doors too, to say, hey, I want to know more about that. And not only at Visit Pittsburgh, but then also, once again, through DI being heavily involved from the sales perspective. You know, I was the chair of the sales committee for two cycles and and worked closely on uh, Mint and empowerment and, and all those things and then worked my way into the foundation. So those things were my preparation for this role and talking to those guys that had sat in those seats and asking lots of questions and how did you do this and how do you manage that and just trying to soak it up like a sponge. Interesting that you uh, bring up your uh, involvement with Destinations International. How much do you believe that weighed into the equation when the board at Visit KC was taking a look at you and other candidates, your involvement at a very high level, or even just involvement in committees at the international level. Was that one more card that you got to play that maybe some of the candidates that were also vying for that position did not have? Without a doubt. Okay. That was something that I brought to light to let them know that I had more experience. I wasn't just the sales guy, right? I had my certification from DI, and, you know, I'm CDME and all of the, the activities that I was engaged in with DI. And I made sure that they knew that they were getting a professional from our industry. Cool. Craig, for you, how were you preparing for the jump? Well, first of all, I think Jason makes a really great point. Uh, for those of us that are lucky enough to work with people in the CEO roles that wanted us to be in that next role, they were they were willing to put them their own egos aside and they were willing to allow me to grow. I did the same thing too with Joe. I said, Joe, I, I don't know anything about finance other than the basic stuff. Can you help me? 
And he was very open to helping me, giving me additional training. I went to Leadership Pittsburgh. He's the first one that said to me, Craig, I want you to do your CDME. Almost from the time I walked through the front door. I'm a really big believer in being part of the industry, not just being part of your own community. As Jason kind of alluded to, it makes you a better candidate when you are out there and you're interviewing for other positions and you can talk about your knowledge of things that affect every destination. And I'm telling you, you really don't have the opportunity to speak with any great confidence unless you're connected to Destinations International, have attended a lot of their summits and have the opportunity to get the uh, education through CDME. It's a gigantic world out there. And the great thing about this industry is that we, we share information with each other in such a deep way and oh, uh, such an honest way. And I have been so fortunate to pick up on the great information and the great ideas of other people and I've been able to craft them into my own career. So that has been my secret sauce. Did I ask your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did, but it brings up a follow-up. Yeah. And I know I say three questions, but it's my show, so I can do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> so there's really, uh, there's probably multiple philosophies on how a CEO will either mentor or not mentor uh, their number two, three, and, and, and four people. And, and one is exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's probably the more sophisticated view, which is uh, you want your number two to be able to replace you and able to move on. And yet there are still some people in management in our industry, and I'm sure in all industries, that really want to hold that number two back a little bit so that they can't replace them, or I'm not going to lose them to another opportunity. I think we all agree around this microphone that you want your people to become better than you and to move on and to move up. What would you say to the people who are saying, yeah, I, I just don't want to afford my people those opportunities because I'm going to lose them. That's inc- incredible short-sightedness. Yeah, but beyond being short-sighted, what, what did Visit Pittsburgh benefit from by the fact that, that Joe and Bob were pushing you, Craig, and that Craig was pushing you, Jason? How did that impact the organization? I just think it makes it makes everybody a better leader. And I, I think that for those CEOs out there that are listening to this, if your number two isn't the person that's going to replace you, I think you need to have a conversation with your number two if they are indeed, he or she is indeed officially your number two. Because I really think that you've got it to the extent that you can. And I know that there are a lot of smaller destination organizations, but you have to craft that person and help that person be able to take your job or another job in another at another destination organization or even in the industry. Right, 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 right. And as leaders, it is our obligation to look at every one of our team members in that light. How do we get you to the next level, right? Whether that's here or somewhere else. And Craig and I had that conversation about our team in Pittsburgh over and over and over again, right? We always looked at, okay, what's our bench strength? Where is this person headed? Can we help them get there? And, you know, you you can't sit back and think that, oh my gosh, if I lost that person, I'd be in big trouble. Yeah. You know, look, we're all replaceable, including Mm -hmm. everyone on this call. And we have to accept that. Once again, as leaders, it's our obligation and duty to prepare the rest of our teams for the next part of their journey as well. I couldn't agree more. For me, it goes all the way to your board of directors. And I often counsel uh, our clients by saying, 
you know, as you're looking at bringing new people onto the board, if you can't envision them as one day becoming chair, you need to think again why you're thinking about this person coming onto the board because you want the best of the best. Now, there are some situations where you need a certain talent or a skill set on the board that, you know, maybe they'll never be chair material. Correct. But for most of the people that you bring on the board, I think that that's what you want. And I think that you can say pretty much the same thing for any management position in a DMO. If you can't see them leading one one day, uh, they better have a skill set somewhere else that's that's really key to the organization. Or, you know, again, I think you think again. Agreed. Teaching CDME, I, I come into contact with so many destination organization leaders that just say, hey, listen, I've got a small group. I've got a specialist in marketing. I've got a specialist in sales, but I don't have that next CEO. And I, I understand that. But to the extent that they can, they need to pick that person or those people that they want to grow and, and provide them with the opportunities to increase their skill set. It's best for the organization and it's best for the industry when you're growing everybody from different backgrounds, marketing, sales, finance, you name it, to, to become the next destination leaders. All right. Question number three. Looking back, what do you know now as CEO that you didn't know then? Craig, you said part of it was finances. Finances for sure, but that's an easy one. The, the one thing I didn't realize when I started in this organization, in this industry, was just the degree to which you have to become savvy politically. And if you can't um, work in the political realm, then you, you probably are not going to be very successful. That was the biggest shock to me as I went along is just how much politics, big P politics and little P politics, enters into this equation and it's becoming more important. I just thought you had to be a great salesperson and a great marketer, but those are those are incredibly important, but um, they're almost sometimes becoming secondary now. Wow, I couldn't agree more on that one. I wish that I could do more sales and marketing because that's really what I wanted to be doing when I got here. But the political aspect of things, really, there are times when it just consumes you. It's funny. I was out to dinner last night with my counterparts at our chamber and our economic development entity, and this young server came up to our table and he heard parts of our conversation. He said, oh, are you three in politics? And we all looked at him and I said, you're in politics too. You just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> right. We're all in that world. And that was, to Craig's point, that was one of the biggest things for me to learn along the way. If I look back, I'm going to flip that question and say that as much as I thought I knew, I knew very little. <laughs> and when I transitioned into the CEO role, it really opened your eyes to all of the different things that you have to balance and massage in each and every day, you know, from a finance HR standpoint, all of those things. And, and when you're walking into a new situation, you get a, a quick introduction to different challenges in all aspects of the organization when you move into that role. If I may add something, Bill, when you're in the number two slot, you look at your boss and you say, hey, I think I can do that. And you can. You obviously can. I didn't realize the degree to which the pressure is on the CEO. Um, the number two position, and I was in the number two position for years and years, there's a lot of insulation that you have there that you don't have at the CEO. So that's very true. And then once you realize that everything sort of rests on your shoulders, it's a whole different game plan. Yeah. And, you know, part of that, though, is that's our role as the CEO of these organizations is to kind of deflect a lot of that noise from the rest of the team so they can go about their business, right? But you've got to find that happy medium where you're still engaged with what they're doing and 
dealing with that other stuff that's that ancillary noise around you. Yeah, some people in our industry probably remember the late Mike Foster, who uh, uh, it was state travel director, I think, in North Dakota. His his last gig, his sweetest gig, was VP of marketing for Alabama Gulf Shores CVB, and uh, he used to say, he says, having been a CEO, he goes, I love being number two. He goes, Herbie handles the politics, and he goes, and I get to sit on my boat and do marketing plans. <laughs> number two gigs are pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for <laughs> be careful what you wish for yeah. Jason used to uh, joke with people and they, he would say I do what Craig doesn't want to do I do all the stuff that Craig doesn't want to do and I think that there's a lot of that I think that uh, unfortunately the number two gets some of the crappy jobs Yeah, but now on the yeah. flip side of that Craig I know that now you were doing all the things that I probably didn't want to do right so <laughs> Yeah. 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 So it goes both ways. Yeah. Sure. All right. Let's move to the bonus round. Craig, we'll start with you. As if being CEO of a top tier DMO doesn't offer its own set of perils, as we have been talking about today, you recently earned your private pilot's license. I did. What motivated you down that path? Oh, I can't wait to hear the answer to this one. <laughs> the truth of the matter is... <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do a lot of driving and I was driving back. I grew up in Canada and I was driving back from Canada and I listened to a lot of uh, audiobooks. And I was listening to Sally Stellenberger's book about how he, you know, grew up in West Texas and uh, you know how he eventually landed the plane on the Hudson successfully. But the book starts out he's talking about being a 14-year-old kid and he grew up on a farm and the the farm next to him had a plane, a crop duster. And he started to fly when he was 14 years old. I thought to myself, if a 14-year-old can fly, I can fly. I, it took me, I've, it's something I've always wanted to do as a kid. I'm an aviation geek and it's something I've always wanted to do. And I had the time now and I had the ability. And so I earned my private pilot's license uh, a year ago, almost to the day. And now I'm working on my instrument rating. So if you're going to ask me where it's going, I have no idea. I don't plan to own a plane. I don't plan to, um, to do very much with it. Other than I want that free Freedom to be able to jump in a plane and go. And what does that feel like when you finally solo, when there's nobody next to you to get you out of trouble? Scared out of my mind. I mean, how exhilarating is that? It was, I mean, the first time I went up by myself, I almost had a heart attack because you just, you know, that you don't have the instructor next to you. But when I successfully landed on my own, it was incredible. And then, so every time I go up on my own right now, there's a little bit of a, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm up by myself. I have nobody else to count on but my, but myself. But I, you know, I have uh, about 120 hours of flight time in. So I'm a pretty good pilot. So now I, I know what. I, I should know. I'm still always going to be a work in progress, so I'm always going to keep learning. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned this to you. My uh, father was a, uh, a private pilot for a number of years and uh, took a new plane up just right off the assembly line that had a technical issue. In fact, there were several crashes in the first two months of this plane, and uh, sadly, a number of people died. Oh. But uh, my dad ended up you know, crashing it into a field. Uh, luckily, he was not in an urban setting. He has no power. He picked a cornfield and said, I'm going to put it there. And he did. And to this day, he continues to say, he goes, you know, I did pretty good. He goes, because they don't teach you how to crash a plane. <laughs> and since I walked away, he goes, I did pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That was the best money he ever made. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, someday I'll uh, have to uh, make my way over and you can take me up and uh, I show, love me, that. show me the sights in and around Pittsburgh from the air. It's good, done. Mom won't let me go up on a plane with Craig. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jason, let's go to your bonus round question. Last month on DMOU, Maya Surency said that the decision for her and Shirley to launch Digital Edge was fueled by margaritas, but I am pretty sure she hasn't yet lived because she hasn't experienced one of yours. Oh, yeah. Here at the ranch, we have a one-pitcher margarita mixer. You sent me a picture. You have a three-pitcher array. But regardless, this isn't about hardware. This is about artistry. <laughs> so tell us how to make the perfect margarita. Yeah, well, I got to tell you, that machine is some of the best utilization of American Express points you're ever going to see. <laughs> we, I can't believe that we're rolling off of Craig doing solo flights to me making margaritas. What does that say about me? You have your priorities straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. So it really comes down to a few things. One, good quality tequila. I make everything with Patron. And uh, with the mixer, I add in some fresh lime, a fresh orange, and it has to have Grand Marnier. And of course, it's got to be in the right glass with a salted rim. So yeah, it's really about using fresh ingredients, good quality tequila. And I've actually spoiled myself because now when I go out to places that are serving margaritas, they really just don't match up. But yeah, it's all about fresh ingredients. So you're a Patron guy. So I've heard some people who claim, but clearly aren't the margarita master that you are, are swearing by Sammy Hagar's tequilas. Have you tried those? I have. I actually prefer to sip that tequila and not mix it in my margaritas. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cabo Wabo for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, the same. Next time I'm in Kansas City, I'm going to have to come over and, and, and watch you uh, do your magic. and. Uh... We will whip up three pitchers. <laughs> That's great. Hey, guys, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your days. Your friendship over the years uh, has been simply wonderful, and watching you both move into big chairs has been fun for us. And so thanks for your work also on behalf of Destinations International and the Foundation. It means a lot to so many of us. Uh, we really appreciate all you've done for our industry. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks, Bill. All right, guys, that's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International, the producers of groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs, and their brand-new resident sentiment study. Learn more about that at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our knowledge bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet where you'll find all the CEO positions that are out there right now. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>